Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. If it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. That understanding works for you, so therefore it is absolutely right for you. All beliefs have become only relatively true, and of course to the world, religion is just some personalized experience, not a divine revelation, and the church is catching the disease. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Now we're jogging. It's the Wretched Radio mail call delivery bag Q&A infotainment nationwide extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. That is a bit above average. Now here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Friel. The mail is here! Ooh, this just feels much more right than the rest of the week. This is Wretched Radio. We have been going through the mailbag, uh, not at a a lickety split kind of pace, but going through questions, comments, conundrums, snarks sent to idea at wretched.org. And we will do that today, which is mailbag day. Don't forget, you can text 877-282-2337. Or if you're younger and you need it hipper... I know what you're saying. Yeah, we're we're waiting. Can you give it to us, Hipper? That's the best we can do. 877-282-2337. Standard text messaging rates apply. All right. This one comes from Fong Lee. Todd, should men who strive to be biblical and physically able learn some form of basic self-defense? Do say what's the word should? What's the word must? No, should. Should. Would. Should. No, should. Should. Uh, That's how it was asked. Uh, The answer would would be, should a man take martial arts or some sort of self-defense? Should he? That implies that he must. No. Could he? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with it. Remember, turning the other cheek is insult. Letting it go. When somebody attacks you or a loved one or even a stranger. You jump in, sir. You help. That's that is not sinning. That is, that is not abusing somebody. That is defending somebody who is defenseless. So if you need to sharpen up your skills in that regard, go ahead if you want to, but you don't have to. Optional. 877-282-2337. Jimmy, just so you know. Uh-huh. I, I could I could take you out. You could. Oh, ho, 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 ho. I I'm gonna say I, I've been around you long enough now. Yeah, many years, and I'm gonna say that your daughter that works across the hall could probably do that oh, before I, you. I, I am certain of that. <laughs> actually, <laughs> she she does take the jujitsu. Uh huh. And yeah, she she could probably tap. We would all be tapping out <laughs> if she got around your neck. Eight seven seven two eight two two three three seven. All right. This is from Andrew uh, in Australia. Todd, you recently said, or not recently, but you you say all the time that kids ghost their parents. And I feel like parents are kind of ghosting their kids by not having family meals together anymore, not going to school events and just not talking to each other. Yep. Mm. Amen. Amen. He's, he's exactly right. And that is why so many kids are adrift these days. Uh, here, here's Look, I understand parents need to do what they have to do to provide a living, that's 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 your primary responsibility. You got to put food on the table. All right. 
But what kind of food and how much of it? What kind of table are we talking about here? How fine is the china? At the expense of nurturing our children, loving our kids, I just was listening to, I watched, I don't know how this popped up in my YouTube feed. Oscar Navarro, you can go look it up. It's Living Waters. Uh, test, uh, You're My Son, I think was the title of it. Oscar is probably late 30s now, maybe. I don't know, maybe he turned 40, and I think he's got a number of kids. And he was willing to, for the sake of helping people be encouraged, his first dad, like, just, he was just told he's a drunk. He's, he was, he left us gone. So he, that was, that was dad number one. Stepdad was abusive. Cool. So that's what he grew up with. It's a, it's a lovely story. In fact, I'm going to, I'll, I'm going to save you the punchline. I'll, I'll, I'll find it for our next segment. You really should hear it. It's like, wow, how sweet is that? But Oscar reveals, the void in his life of not having a dad who loved him and put his arm around him and said, way to go, son. Let me help you out here, bud. I've noticed these things in you. Let's go do this together. It hurts. And it really affects a child for life. And there are way too many parents who are neglecting that privilege. And they're spending so much time trying to make all of the facilities better Look, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. You can build up your bank account too, but not at the expense of your children. Now, that's going to look differently through different seasons. There's no question about it. There's no playbook that says from this month to that year, you need to spend this many minutes with. You got to sort that and figure that out. But if you're not spending time with your kids because you're, you're pursuing stuff too much, you need to adjust. You're hurting them. You're depriving them. You're ghosting them. And one of the ways that I would suggest probably most parents are ghosting their kids, and it can be justified because the kids are doing it too, but there you sit with your cell phone in hand, scrolling and scrolling and looking and tapping and being, huh? What? Just looking through. I got some emails to deal with. I got some TikTok. There's a really funny one with a raccoon. Got to look at here. And yeah, they're in the room with you, but they're you're not there. Be careful that your cell phone isn't robbing you of the precious time that you get to spend with your children. And if I could just do a shout out, if if you've got young kids, it's physically demanding. I get that. We we went through that. I mean, we we raised three kids. I get it. You're outnumbered. You go from one on one man-to-man defense to zone. I get it. It's a lot. And our kids were really close in age, about 20 months apart. It's physically demanding. Savor every second. Delight in it. They they had a diaper blast that made a mess. Now you got to wash their onesie. I know. Not pleasant. Enjoy it. And you know what? I've said this before, that if you could offer me the ability to go back in time to spend a day with my little kids, I don't know how much you'd want for that, but I'd consider it if I could potentially afford it. Uh, let me let me let me just perhaps uh, 
paint this in such a way to maybe encourage you, if you've got young kids and you're exhausted, you're frazzled, you're finding yourself at the end of your rope all the time, you're, they're driving you nuts, and maybe you're even starting to resent them. Uh, I, 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 as I stand here, I believe this is true. If you said, hey, would you like to go back to when your kids were in diapers and spend the day changing their pants? That's it. That's all you get to do. How much? Absolutely. Absolutely, I would go back and do that. Now, when you're in it, I get it. I totally get it. But don't zoom through a year. Don't miss a season. You will someday look back and go, oh, how I would love to do that again. And and I think it's important to think about. I get what you're saying. It's so hard when you have little ones who depend on you. But remembering that they depend on you and also remembering that years from now, you're going to depend on them. And sure. what you tell them now with how you treat them is going to actually give them permission to do and treat you. Sure. So, you know what? It could be I, every scenario is different. But if a, if a kid is ghosting their kids, maybe it was because not not saying it justifies it. It's because you ghosted them. Possibility. You, you, you got to be willing to examine that. Enjoy those precious years. And, and by the way, I got to tell you something. If you think, who once they get out of diapers, no more of that messy business, no more diaper genie, who the house is going to smell better. Yeah, just wait. There's going to be even harder things. God graduates this, you know. It starts out, we think it's really hard, and it is physically demanding. Wait for the emotional demands when they're teenagers. They're going through puberty. Wait to the deodorant years. (laughs) (laughs) Idea at wretched.org, 877-282-2337. So, Todd, I have a family member. This is from Jason. I have a family member who will only partake in the Lord's table if the bread being used is unleavened bread. Now, I agree that unleavened bread is certainly more accurate representation of Christ's sinless body, but I don't see a command in scripture for Christians to only use unleavened bread. Yeah. I would say Adi Offering. That it, it, it's a it's a it's a gray area. Do I believe it is the better practice? I do. Would I not partake though of the Lord's table because it had leaven in it? I look I, I'd actually feel a little bit of a twinge, I have to confess. But can we say that it is biblically mandated that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was using unleavened bread. How do we know? It was Passover. And it was unleavened bread, removing the sin from the house is the picture. And, and, and making it quick so that we can get out of here and be safe. So it was definitely unleavened bread. But does that mean we have to do it exactly that way? Well, Passover has been fulfilled in the Passover lamb. So that celebration, you can commemorate it if you'd like to and do a recreation of Passover as long as Jesus is the centerpiece of it. But... I don't think that it's it's mandated. I, I don't think you have to do it that way. He initiated communion. That happened to be the bread because it was Passover. But would I make it a law? I, I don't think so. It's a conscience issue. I, I wouldn't make much of it with my cousin. This is Wretched Radio. I would say the Tomorrow Clubs is a wonderful ministry. Kids are getting saved like crazy, not just in Eastern Europe, but also in Africa. And it's so efficient. I was just with Paul and Cindy Marty, and I asked, and I said, in, in American currency, how much does it cost to have a kid come to a Tomorrow Club four times a month? So every single week, what, what's the, what does it take to make that happen? Ready? 
a buck, one dollar. That's it. The kid comes, they get treats, they get materials that they learn the Bible, they memorize a buck because it's it's all volunteer driven. All those dear ones, they're volunteers. It's an amazing ministry. And if you have a heart for the lost in Eastern Europe, Africa, and you love supporting ministries that are super efficient and biblically sound, I would point you in the direction of tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, and ask how many children might I be able to support per month? Well, thanks to our amazing gospel partners around here, we have been able to accomplish some pretty amazing things in 2023. This past year, we were able to launch Season 2 of Transformed. We launched Wretched Worldview 2. And let's not forget Season 4 of Road Trip to Truth, plus hundreds of hours of Wretched TV and radio. Now, what's possible for 2024? Well, we are excited to tell you about something new that we'll be starting next year. Can't let the cat out of the bag just yet, but what we can tell you is we need your help in order to make it happen. That's why we want you to prayerfully consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. And right now through the end of the year, when you do that, every donation you give will be matched dollar for dollar. So join us, become a gospel partner today, and together let's make 2024 even wretched-er. In a good way, of course. I believe in a culture of life. One of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms of all three of my kids. The sonogram or the, the pictures that are taken of babies, still a profoundly helpful tool, which encourages me to encourage you to consider supporting Preborn Ministries. Preborn Ministries and their network clinics, they are giving away free ultrasounds to women, but they do cost something. It's $28 an ultrasound. And just as you heard Governor DeSantis say, his view of life was profoundly changed when he saw the baby in the womb when you see the form and the shape and the fingers and the heartbeat would you please consider supporting preborn it's a great ministry of life it has a high anthropology shares the gospel with women and with the dads preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched important dates in christian history 1870 Pope Pius IX proclaims a doctrine of papal infallibility. Though the authority of the Pope had been established for centuries, the teaching that the Pope's teaching is divinely inspired and infallible is a very recent invention. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. It's a conscience issue. This is Wretched Radio. We have been enjoying ourselves. Okay, at least I have Jimmy, perhaps not so much. The entire week dedicated to the stuff you send to idea at wretched.org or text 877-282-2337. Please keep stuff coming. Really, please, whenever you see something wretched, just forward it to idea at wretched.org. Jimmy, the question about taking communion with un, with leavened bread, mm-hmm. I believe, is a conscience issue. It's, it's a liberty issue. And so in regard to the, the, the person who is asking, hey, my cousin... Won't take it if it doesn't. Uh, don't force them. You can't force them because then it would be a sin. But wait a second. It's not a sin. It is if you override your conscience. Never do it. This might actually help you to not sin. That 
if you are thinking about doing something that you can do, but it's like twinge, 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 you are unplugging your smoke detector. You're putting yourself in danger. You say, but, am I, but I wouldn't be sinning. It's a great, no, it actually is a sin because you're supposed to be listening to your conscience. Now, it might not be well-informed. It can grow and it can change. But if you do what your conscience says don't do, you're setting yourself up for more sinning. I shouldn't say more sinning. You're, you're setting yourself up for sinning because you tamped down your conscience and you're going to be more inclined to do that again with a real sin issue. Never override the conscience and send stuff to idea at wretched.org. All right. This one is from Don. Todd, I've heard you say we are told in the Bible that we are to live a gospel-centered life. What does that mean? (laughs) That is a question after my own heart. Because for years, haven't we heard it? Got to live a gospel-centered life. Jerry Bridges says, live a gospel-centered life. Tully and Chavidjan said, live a gospel-centered life. It was all the gospel coalition, gospel-centered life. Craze. We got, isn't the gospel groovy? Oh, man, it's gospelicious. We got to live the gospel-centered life. And we all go, amen. How do we do that exactly? And there were some helpful books. Jerry Bridges was helpful on that. But it, but it, it wasn't as robust as the sentiment. How do you do it? Well, I think that there are actually two ways. One is you think about the gospel. You have to think about the, you have to do this. If you are going to be obedient, if you're going to endure and persevere, you have to focus on Jesus. Consider first Peter before he gets to anything that has to do directly with how to respond to persecution. Chapter 2 to about verse 12, maybe 14, somewhere in the neighborhood. It is all about who you are, who you are, who you are. This You're in Christ. You're a saint. You're a holy people. You're set apart. You're a kingdom of priests. That's who you are. You need to know that if you're going to endure this. And the same thing is true in life, that we will not battle sin. We will not grow in godliness if we don't perpetually remember who we are. So think about the gospel. What do you know? Acts 2.42 again. Listen to sermons. Go to church. Make sure you're reading your Bible. Pray Lord's table. Witness baptisms. Do those things regularly. This is why so many encourage you did no, no, no Bible, no breakfast, no read, no feed. It's that important for you. So that is one aspect. But here's the aspect that I think is too often overlooked. It's not just the thinking about Jesus. It's the acting like Jesus. Not in, I'm not talking about in this instance, purity per se. You're, oh, so I don't sin. But yeah, there's definitely that aspect. That the more you resist temptation, the more you are living the gospel-centered life, motivated by the gospel itself that you've been studying. So you've been feeding your brain, you've been getting your wires uncrossed, plugged into the right sockets. You understand how good Jesus is. I don't want to sin. That's one way. But I'm also talking about doing stuff. And you're going to, I most likely, you're going to conclude, ah, you mean volunteer church. Yes. Yep. Talking to serve others. That's living the gospel-centered life. Why is that? Because when we serve others, we put the needs of others before our own. That is a picture of the gospel itself. So you've been studying the gospel. You've been studying serving Jesus. 
And now you want to act the same way and you just find yourself doing it. You're living the gospel-centered life. But here's the way that I think might come as a surprise. And it might be perhaps one of the most transformative understandings of living a gospel-centered life, especially in your marriage and your relationship with your kids or parents, that you humble yourself, esteem everybody in your house as better than you, and repent quickly when you sin. Living the gospel-centered life. Why? That is the gospel. You sin, repent, forgiven. It will be most likely one of the most tangible ways that you will see the fruit of living a gospel-centered life. Start repenting. Start forgiving. And you will see transformation in your home because it has been preceded by a transformation in your heart. Idea at wretched.org. All right. This question is from Ari. Todd, why is Handel's Messiah the most beautiful song ever written? And why are you a heretic if you disagree? (laughs) (laughs) Did you write that? I did not. That was from Ari. Um, can we say it's the most beautiful piece of music ever? Um, okay. It would be on the list. Uh, even though, even though there is, there are definitely some objective components to music. I mean, come on. Uh, listening to Handel's Messiah versus somebody banging a hammer on a saw. Okay. That's supposed oh, me. We kind of get that. There is a little bit of subjectivity to it though. And some preference that can be involved in arts and literature, Nevertheless, it is a glorious piece of music that was written for Easter. (laughs) But we somehow have incorporated it into Christmas. Jimmy, do you remember why it is that we stand? Was it that the, like an emperor, when Handel played it the first time, that the, the emperor stood or some, and then everybody stood up, of course, and that just kind of became the pattern? I. There's there's something about that. Oh, and I was supposed to play Oscar Navarro's testimony, wasn't yeah, I? Yeah, you were. Bad host. Very <laughs> bad host. What well, is Google, Google that about the standing up for Handel's Messiah. It's, I think it's great that we do it. I don't think it's mandated. And I do think it is a magnificent piece of music. This, this is... This is about to hurt me to the core. It was in a little town, northern Georgia, in a restaurant, and all of a sudden I heard bagpipes outside, which basically for me is akin to chewing glass. And I jumped up to go out to see the guy. I feel like I'm just selling out all of my values here. I actually enjoyed it because of the hymn that he was playing, Lord of Glory. Very it's it's not a real popular hymn, I don't think. But it's it's a, it's Heiferdahl and it the the the, the music is Heiferdahl and it, it but the lyrics ah oh, that we don't write them like this anymore. Lord of Glory, who has bought us with thy lifeblood as the price, never grudging for the lost ones that tremendous sacrifice, and with that has freely given blessings countless as the sand to the ungrateful and the evil. Sparing hand. 
lyrics and a melody like that almost, almost would allow me to listen to bagpipes without feeling like I'm swallowing a broken Pepsi bottle. I did, did you find it, Jimmy? So you want to know why, yeah, we, why stand? Do we stand? So the most accepted reason is that King George II stood during the course at the Messiah's 1743 London premiere. And since it's considered good etiquette to stand when the king stood, everybody got up. The audience followed suit. <laughs> and so that's what that's what we do now as if somehow that's that's a lot okay it kind of reminds me of i was told this is a true story that a, a pastor went to a little church i think it was a little lutheran church uh, whatever state rural and as the new guy of course you don't want to make a fuss you shouldn't anyway new guy and he noticed that when the when the service started everybody was sitting on the left side of the church Everybody, nobody was on the right side. And and then uh, for the hymn right before the sermon, everybody got up and walked over to the right side and sat down. There was nobody on the left side. Weird. Didn't say a word. Second week, same thing. Third week, same thing. Fourth week, same thing. So now he's there long enough where he can at least try to gently ask, excuse me, why do we do that? And the answer was, we don't know. That's just what we do. So somebody decided to go figure out the etymology of this maneuver. And they discovered that when the church was first built, they didn't have HVAC like we enjoy today. The furnace was on the left side. So when people came in, they wanted to sit as close to it as possible to stay warm. But by the time the sermon got there, it was so hot. They wanted to get away from it. So they moved to the right and they do it to this day. Traditions, they're nice, but if they're not biblical, <laughs> this is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, over in Ireland, the government has taken a bit of a hacksaw to free speech. A new bill that criminalizes hateful words has apparently gone into effect. Truth is now hate speech in Ireland for some self-appointed moral authority that deems it offensive. So facing jail time or fines is what the citizens can look forward to now. So they better watch their pronouns. Well, up north, a recent survey found that 86% of the Canucks oppose Trudeau's push for digital dollars. Turns out citizens aren't keen on being tracked and controlled when making purchases. No figure. And in California, if you can believe it, nearly $100 million in tax credits went to promoting shows that glamorize teen promiscuity, violence, and even suicide. Nothing says family entertainment quite like sexualizing children. But sure, ban the Bible as obscene. Shifting gears in Oregon, a judge struck down Portland's unconstitutional gun storage law, ruling that it violates the state's constitution. In a rare win for common sense, the judge stated the obvious. Laws can't demand gun owners forfeit self-defense rights to appease the hysterical activists. Because sometimes those are the ones they need self-defense from. Speaking of virtue signaling, Disney honchos have finally admitted that pushing woke politics is what costs them viewers and profits. Who would have ever saw that one coming, huh? And on that note, it turns out some Washington teachers have tried hiding an LGBT club from parents. <laughs> Even telling students, don't invite your parents. Oh, that's a trustworthy agenda, isn't it? It's just sneaking around secretly sexualizing someone else's kid. 
Likewise, the Department of Education is investigating allegations that a trans-identifying male student flashed his genitalia to girls in a school bathroom. Oh, we never thought that would have happened. Yeah, willfully exposing himself and all of his male anatomy intact. Yet they call the concerned parents the crazy ones for not wanting this to happen. And finally, new data from the CDC reveals that suicide rates have skyrocketed, rising over 7% in the last year. You know, it, it is truly heartbreaking, and I pray that more people will come to the reality that the lies being peddled by this sexual revolution are leading to death, not liberation. We reap what we sow, folks. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible Amos was a shepherd called to prophesy during a time of prosperity in Israel and Judah. But this prosperity was accompanied by idolatry, extravagance, and corruption. When you consider the society you live in, Amos declares that God judges societies by his standard of righteousness. He hates all corruption and injustice. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This has to stop. No! This is Wretched Radio. No! That beautiful organ doesn't need to stop. What needs to stop is when I go looking for a great hymn on the YouTube machine. Guess who pops up all over the place? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Man, they own the YouTube machine when it comes to searching for something that is genuinely Christian. That needs to stop. Great music, phenomenally rich lyrics, the highest form of communication we humans can offer. That is why in church, man, we got we to gotta be looking for those great hymns. And they can be contemporary too, but they've got to be rich. And they've got to represent God even, not just lyrically, but even musically. Jimmy was looking up for some hymns. For the, oh boy, uh, first, oh, oh, I'm scared. The first church service of Alpharetta Bible Church. Ah. You know, it's it's located in Alpharetta, mm-hmm. and it's a church that is based on the Bible. So per- Perfect name. Kate came up with that, that clever idea, Alpharetta Bible Church, for Christmas Eve morning, and then, of course, Christmas Eve. And had to go look for the hymns, and I went digging through old hymnals. Jimmy, I'm telling you, we're missing the boat. I'm not saying that we need to be shackled to a hymnal. There can be some good contemporary. There is some good contemporary stuff. In fact, I went through Nine Marks Ministries. They've got somebody who actually catalogs what songs they sing. Not at Nine Marks Ministry, Capitol Hill Baptist, which kind of wasn't the same, but at Capitol Hill Baptist, what songs did they sing? They had about 700 of them listed. What year they sang them and how many times? And, and uh, most of them were just great classic hymns. But I started to circle the contemporary ones. And there were maybe 30 that they thought passed theological muster. 
So I'm not saying that it just has to be old for the sake of being old and we reject anything new because we're stodgy. But as I was looking through this old hymnal, first of all, they cataloged the different themes of, of the hymns. So there were obvious ones like Christmas, but there were there were other ones that you just wouldn't imagine. Evening hymns? E- wait, what? Evening hymns? Yeah. Abide with me, fast falls the even tide. Oh, what a hymn. And a dozen other ones. Here was one that struck me. In fact, I almost want to go look for this to make the, it, it, it is so glorious. I'll, I'll run and grab my hymnal after we listen to the Oscar Navarro story. I'll share with you a hymn about the law and gospel. What? The law and gospel? What is, there's a hymn about the distinction that the reformers thought was so important, the hinge of the Christian faith swung on it. Because you got to understand. And this hymn, bang on, with here's what the law does, here's what the gospel does. And it was six stanzas. Oh, magnificent stuff. And I'm telling you, it'll feed you. It will feed you. Going to one of these contemporary concerts where it gets all mystical and moody and maybe the singing, it's so familiar to me, ain't going to feed you. You'll maybe enjoy it because you like that style of music. Ain't going to feed you unless it fills your brain. And now without any further ado, as promised, the Oscar Navarro story. This is for you, Pop. I grew up without a biological father. I was, I was told he left before my first birthday. I had abusive stepdads. Uh, you know, I had one for seven years. It was physically abusive. Another one for seven years. It was sexually abusive. I was kicked out of my house by the time I was 13. Um, so just, I had no father figures. And then by the time I was 30, my wife is like, hey, let's try to find your biological father. And I, the only two stories that I knew about my biological father was that he was a drunkard. That's what my grandma told me and that he liked to get in the bar fight. So in my mind at 30, I'm like, I don't need to go reach out to this guy. It doesn't really sound like he has much to offer, you know? Um, and thinking back, I just had bad fatherly experiences. I can specifically remember one of my stepdads at the wedding of my mom's wedding with him. Like he's walking around and I can hear people ask like, oh, who's that kid over there pointing to me? And I remember him saying, oh, that's Becky's son. You know, so even to call them stepdads wasn't really like they didn't never wanted to be my father. You know what I mean? I just didn't have a dad. So anyways, fast forward, I'm 30 something years old. Uh, I start to try to find my biological father. And actually I'm on the phone with Easy when I get a phone call and I'm like, I think this is him. So I hang up the phone with him and I answer and, it, and it's him. And, and the story shifted massively. Essentially, he did not leave us. My mom sort of, she was an, she was an addict. She kind of pushed him out of our lives. Hmm. Uh, and he was looking for me for a really long time. Just couldn't find me. So I meet this man. I go over to his house. They've got pictures of me on the wall. Uh, they would remember, he showed me a calendar. They would celebrate my birthday every year, count up my age. Uh, during Christmas, they would remember me. The neighbors knew me by name. My, I have two little brothers. Their friends knew me. They were like this little family that was like waiting for their older brother to come home. My brother, who's 10 years younger than me, was getting married. He asked me to officiate the wedding. So we're at the wedding and we're turning the corner and every corner I turned, my biological father is throwing his arm around me saying, have you met my son? This is my son. And for the first time, 34, 35 years old, I knew what it was like to be loved by a father. The reason why I share that mm. story isn't just because it's a great story of reconciliation between me and my father. It speaks to a greater story of our reconciliation to our father in heaven. How could you be discouraged knowing that through the blood of Christ, God the Father has his arm around you saying, this is my son. This mm. is my daughter. Dad. 
Are you pouring into your son? I sure hope so. And if you're not, not to threaten or nothing, but don't be surprised if you're ghosting your son, your daughter. Don't be shocked when one day they ghost you. Jimmy, guess what I got? What did you get? In my never before nicotine stained fingers. What's that? I got this old hymnal. Huh? This was written in 1709. 1709. Do you remember the hypergrace movement that launched however many years ago? Tully and Chavidgen was all, all about the grace. It's the gracey grace, and you got to have the grace because of the, oh, the grace. And it kicked off the hypergrace movement. And the big push, I think he was preaching through Ephesians, was, hey, you got to know the gospel. You got to know the gospel. You got to go know the gospel. The God, that's, that's what you need to propel you. And in that regard, he was right. It just became hypergrace because it became licentious. It became lawless. And the reformers would say, don't make that mistake. Remember, the law is a schoolmaster. It brings you to Christ no further. But that doesn't mean that even though it doesn't have authority any longer in the life of the Christian, doesn't mean that we don't obey it. When, when Whatever the law is that rightly applies to us, we desire to obey, not to get saved, but because we've been saved. You've heard variations of that theme, no doubt, countless times. 1709, the law commands and makes us know what duties to our God we owe. But tis the gospel must reveal where lies our strength to do his will. <laughs> you mean old dead guys were preaching the same sermon hundreds of years ago? Yep. And that would be another aspect of encouragement of not exclusively, but dipping back into these old hymns. They're theologically rich and you go, wait a second. I thought that was kind of a new discovery that, you know, the grace, we need, we need to focus on the gospel. I thought Jerry Bridges discovered that. No, he didn't. Well, it's always been understood. Verse two, the law discovers guilt and sin and shows us how vile our hearts have been. The gospel only can express forgiving love and cleansing grace. Isaac Watts wasn't a dummy. What curses doth the law denounce against the man that fails but once? But, one of the best words in the Bible, in the gospel, Christ appears pardoning the guilt of numerous years. My soul, no more... Seriously, this is this is as stout as anything that we've heard in the last 50 years about being a gospel-centered Christian. My soul no more attempt to draw thy life and comfort from the law. <laughs> wow. Fly to the hope the gospel gives, the man that trust, trust the promise lives. And by the way, that's just one hymn of long. Wow, how many are there? Because this, this, this particular hymnal, it's got hymns just for the Reformation, just for Pentecost, just for Epiphany, just for Advent, just for worship. Okay, so this is the section on law and gospel. Have you even ever considered singing a song? Who's written a song lately about the law and gospel? Probably nobody, but people used to. Okay, this is one from Law and Gospel. It was written in 1850. That, that shouldn't surprise us. Wait. 
Hold on, it goes back to 1150. You know, those old dead people. This one was 1817, Law and Gospel. Uh, they've been, they, they used to write about it and sing these things. <sighs> we should too. This is Wretched Radio. I know how you're feeling at the thought of switching from traditional health insurance to MediShare, which is affordable biblical health sharing. That's a big decision, and it can be kind of scary, which is why Mrs. Freel and I researched MediShare and determined, yeah, we can trust this ministry, Christians paying for the health needs of other Christians. It's a magnificent ministry, 98% member satisfaction rate. It's amazing. The average family saves $500 per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit metashare.com slash wretched, metashare.com slash wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. Well, we want to say a huge thank you to our faithful gospel partners. Without you, none of this is possible. So you have a direct responsibility for everyone touched by this Wretched Radio program. Just listen to what Cindy from Ohio had to say. She said, quote, before I started listening to Wretched Radio, I was confused and drifting from my faith. But the sound teaching opened my eyes to the truth in a new way. Now I'm grounded in God's word more than ever before, and I want to empower Wretched to have the same impact on others' lives. So from all of us here at Wretched, we want to thank you for standing firm with us as a gospel partner. And we want to ask those of you who have not yet joined us as an ongoing monthly gospel partner, would you prayerfully consider doing so? You can find out all the answers to all of the questions you may possibly have at wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. So you aren't convinced of the importance of training godly men to rightly divide the word of truth in churches internationally? Well, then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. You have to support men who are elder qualified proclaimers of the word. When we support a man coming out of TMAI, we know not only that he is properly trained, but we know that he will still be supervised. Would you please join TMAI, the Master's Academy International, in advancing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through expository preaching in local churches around the globe. Lobe. It's a magnificent ministry and it's so important. Please consider partnering with TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Thank you for supporting indigenous pastors around the world. Attributes of God. Can God make a rock so big he cannot lift it? God is all-powerful. He created the universe and everything in it, and nothing can thwart His will. So the question of the rock is nonsensical. It does not expose a problem with God, but with the thinking of the one asking the question, and they will one day have to answer to the omnipotent God. 
This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Those rascally Mormons done did it again. This is Wretched Radio. These hymns are ours. Oh, Protestants, why have we let them go? The Mormon Tabernacle Choir, they're singing great classic hymns loaded with theology that they probably don't even affirm. Nevertheless, you go to the YouTube machine, you look for a classic hymn or Handel's Messiah, the Mormons, the Mormons, the Mormons, and they're singing great Protestant hymns. And we don't. Now, they want to sing them. Well, there's no licensing rights to them, so they can if they choose. But why don't we? Uh, Here would be yet another example of a lovely musical arrangement with lyrics that are just, it's like, wow, yes, that's right. The Bible, men and women, they they bled and died so that we could actually have the Bible. And it's endured throughout every generation. And I got one. I got a bunch of them. And whoa, what it tells me about God, what it tells me about me, what it tells me about my Savior. Wow. A hymn that actually reminds us of all of those things. Yep. God's word is our great heritage and shall be ours forever. Is that totally a cappella? This is a some Lutheran choir group that's about, about 30 kids. Oh, you know, the little videos, they, they, they all record themselves separately and then they mash it all together. It's a cappella and it's four parts and you can hear all four parts. I could even find the bass line in that, which is a blessing for me and for you if you stand in front of me. Please note, just as a reminder, that our personal preferences for music uh, cannot be assumed to be automatically the best. For instance, you're listening to four-part harmony. Do you know that for centuries, the church would forbid something like this? It had to be sung because they thought that that expressed unity. The reformers came along and went, wait a second. Music can be more glorious than that. And people can sing different parts, but still be in unity. And so we've assumed it. Many people for centuries thought, ooh, this, this is taboo. That's why, even though, personally, I think this is outstanding, I still need to remember that I can't assume that this is the biblically mandated way to do it, even though I'd like to try. To There's something behind them. Great hymn to sing right before a sermon. 
like we're going to do starting December 24th at Alpharetta Bible Church. If Jimmy doesn't distract us again, we will get to questions, comments, conundrums, snarks sent to idea at wretched.org. All right, this one is from Jesse. Todd, I was recently told that I should not use innocent guilt law language when witnessing to people from honor and shame cultures. Mm. Is there any wisdom in this? Um, Being mindful of it, yes. Being sensitive about it. But for in, for instance, Japanese culture historically has been described as a as a shame culture that you don't do anything that would bring shame to your family. That isn't such a bad thing, really, is it? But they might have a, a heavy sense of them, but on them because you know the shame and the you know oh, I didn't get the right grade in school, what have you. But that's different than guilt for having sinned against God. And so you can acknowledge that, you can identify that, but I'm afraid guilt is far worse than shame. And they need to understand they're guilty. And the only way that they're going to do that is through the use of the law, the opening up of the law. So if you dance around that and you assume, well, they already feel bad enough, well, they might feel bad enough, but it will certainly be horizontal and not vertical. And we need to help them understand, hey, you know what, getting an A minus. Uh, in the chemistry class, uh, that that brought shame on you because of your culture. But according to God, that wasn't a sin. That to to just fail to get a grade, you were faithful to the task, and you got a lesser grade than perhaps your family wanted. But God doesn't see that as a sin, so you don't need to feel ashamed about that. However, there are a lot of things God says that we are to do and not to do that not only should cause us shame, but make us feel very guilty. And you open up the law. There are far too many evangelicals, and I, 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 uh, I met them. I've, I've spoken to revivalists. You'd know them by name. People don't need to hear the law. They feel guilty enough. No, they don't. They might feel ashamed. They might feel disappointed, let down, heartbroken, maybe disgusted with themselves. They don't have enough self-esteem, but they do not understand their guilt before God. So keep using that law regardless of the culture and send stuff to idea at wretched.org. All right, this question is from Jacob. Uh, Todd, I help uh, with the Bible study for fourth grade boys. And was uh, recently, as we went through the Ten Commandments, they replaced you shall, not, you shall not commit adultery with respect others. Huh? Yeah, I, I, I understand that the lesson is trying to be age appropriate, but it doesn't seem right to me to skip over the Seventh Commandment. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do that either. Now, fourth grade, they've got a pretty good idea of what that is. What about second grade? Should we change it for the kindergarten? Four-year-old. Now, I think the answer is no. How you explain it should be age appropriate, but to change a commandment because, well, we don't want to talk about naughty things, I, I think should be verboten. And a reminder, let's be careful inside of the church that when we do indeed talk about intimacy, that we don't do it in hushed tones. Like, well, you know, married couples sometimes, but you know, that's how babies are made. Let's not talk about it like that. That, that, that actually, first of all, it's bad theology because it was, it was created, invented by God. So it's a good thing. And the church is the one who should be able to talk about it without shame or without blushing. Do it appropriately, context, age, 
amount of information, of course, but we shouldn't talk about it like, well, you know, because that diminishes God's good gifts. Second, we've seen that it has caused harm to people because they feel like that act is, well, you better wait until you get married. And if you don't, um, then they get married. And they actually feel guilty doing that act because that has been presented to them their entire life as something that is um, shameful. Be careful how we talk about intimacy. one 282 2337 to text whatever you want. Uh, this is from Andrew. Todd, I'm interested in studying the history of the early church and the Protestant Reformation in more depth. Do you know of any reliable resources? Yeah, there's a ton of them. But please note this. When you study the Reformation, you've got a better shot of getting it accurate because <laughs> we've got way more than you go back to the early church. And, and, and please note, the early church, these are believers, most of them. They were indeed closer to the time of Jesus and the apostles. They had that advantage, but they were working through a lot of stuff. So please remember, when you go back and study the early church fathers, you're going to see some stuff and go, what? They, they what? They taught that? Even Augustine or Augustine, if you live in Florida, even he, it's like he he evolved. You can read his, his movement. I think he got better and better the longer he was in the faith. But please note, if you study early church fathers, which you can do, there's oodles of books on it. Find them from good publishers. But keep in mind, those guys were not perfect. Idea at wretched.org. All right, this one is from Jonathan. Todd, recently you talked about um, young men who aren't married uh, should start acting like husbands yeah. and dads. You bet. What's involved in that? Just, just understanding the calling of a man in a marital relationship. What is it? Well, you're strong. You get up and you go to work. You do stuff you're not nuts about doing. You don't do things that you are delighted doing. You, you, you start acting like the man that you are going to have to be in a marriage. Just start doing it now. Develop habits, routines, patterns. So you're with your buddies and you're like, well, how am I supposed to act like a husband when I'm just with my brohams? Which I think was a contemporary reference about 20 years ago. Well, they want to go to dinner. Steak and shake, McDonald's, and then you pipe in with Zaxby's. It's got to be Zaxby's because you're a good Christian. Are you going to insist on your way? Or are you going to go to McDonald's and suffer? Go to McDonald's and suffer. It's just a meal. Let me tell you, you're going to be doing that at home a lot. There's going to be nights where it's like chicken fingers again. Great. Love it. Cheerful attitude. Grateful attitude. In other words, be godly. That's it. Be godly. Because that's what a Christian man is called to be when he's married. Start doing it now. Practice now. You'll be better equipped then. And until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>